Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and I'm here with Matt Leach. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Well, I'm exactly the same as last time we recorded an intro, actually. Every day seems the same. Get up, eat, exercise, work, sleep. Although, where we are, the rules are easing slightly, which means I was able to see my mum a few days ago, which was quite nice. What's it like with the baby? Um, yeah, it's pretty similar. It just You replace eat, exercise and sleep with more work for me at the <laughs> moment. I mean, that's a total over-exaggeration. We're, we're all busy, and but I'm definitely in a heavy work cycle at the moment. I'm certainly not complaining. Uh, it just happens to be a busy time. So we are also really lucky to be able to accept Claire's parents, my wife's parents, as visitors, which was super, super nice change of pace. So we had a really lovely Friday last week. Yeah, I can imagine they they would have just got to know your daughter and then not allowed to see the daughter. That's right. Yeah, she wasn't. She was stumbling around a little bit, and now we have morning dance parties. So that's wow. the difference between <laughs> between when they they saw her last. So yeah. yeah, it's been a big big jump for them. Before we go any further, I want to thank Streamtime for their ongoing support. They've been helping us for a long time now, and we're very grateful. If you haven't tried them out yet, now is the perfect time to try their free trial and see what it's all about. If you like them, there is a discount code in the link in our show notes for ADR listeners. Do it. You won't be disappointed that you did. Yes, and topically, they were up for a Webby Award. So congratulations, Streamtime, for being nominated. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Last time I checked, they were close to reaching top spot in the web services and application category. So they're against some really giant companies. So it really speaks to you know how good they are that they can be recognized on the world stage like this. Yeah, I think when this episode drops, the voting will have maybe just finished, unfortunately, but um, they have a very funny campaign to get votes. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very clever campaign. Uh, I guess on the next episode, we'll update how they did. Yeah. Um, so would you like to further introduce our guest for this episode? Yes. So in this episode, we spoke to Mizko, aka Michael Wong, an award-winning product UI IX designer and entrepreneur based in Sydney. Michael is well-known personality internationally and a huge fan of the industry and always about making it as transparent as possible. Yeah, that's right. I love that there's no question that you can't ask him. Um, he just wants everyone to understand and learn the UX and UI world um, and what it can really do. Yeah, this interview was really fun because we were really able to delve back into Michael's past and how he became the person he is, like right back to hustling in high school. And it really shows his drive and his energy and the way he thinks, you know, looking at every situation and seeing, you know, the opportunity that's possible. I love the high school hustle. Look forward to that. Um, yeah, we also got to bookend it with what he's doing right now with uh, Raw Studio, which he set up with his good friend, Philippe Hong, uh, working in the startup world and self-funding their own products. It's all pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it was a perfect time to talk to him because the, the studio is really starting to grow. And, you know, after a conscious consolidation of everything that was Mizco, which is, you know, a solid brand in itself, Raw's really, it feels like the next chapter. Yeah, let's get in there. Absolutely. Enjoy. straight away you did that to me last time you do your thing dude like i'm gonna jump around <laughs> all right like just Matt's, go freestyle yeah <laughs> we're completely like you know any partnership we're completely different like in that sense like matt will do a lot, a lot of research and yeah. stuff and i just kind of like jump around and it makes mess it with makes his. it interesting though yeah yeah, yeah exactly we would have stopped a long time ago if it wasn't interesting yeah. so. <laughs> um we'll just get rolling do you want to start give you the i'll give you a head start no no you you, you go all right well i want to talk about what i was talking to you about as you were coming out of the elevator which is we were actually going to do this podcast like three years ago 
Yes. And I can't remember for the life of me how that came about. All I remember, and it's weird because we're in Adobe and now I work for Adobe, but I'm pretty sure it was through someone at Adobe or something to do with Adobe XD or... Do you have any recollection of this? I know you remember we were going to do one. It's very hazy. Yeah. It's very <laughs> hazy. I think it was, when I have to think back to it, it was definitely Adobe Max. So right. I was invited to be sort of the uh, insider for yep. Australia in terms of like UX. And I was getting paid mm. to uh, live the life. Right. Attend a $1,000 conference. And all I had to do was like sort of share my insights, um, share what I've learned, share some uh, learnings about the new developments in Adobe. Mm. It was definitely a very interesting um, experience meeting top talent, seeing innovation in Adobe. So I think afterwards I got linked up with you through Lindsay and she said it would be great for you to jump onto a podcast um, based in Sydney. Right. But I think we were just so busy that it just fizzled away yeah and i just totally forgot about it until i saw you on twitter yeah that's so funny because I, I was just like oh yeah miss i was like oh yeah and then i just thought oh my god that was way too long ago like just and then quickly having a look at like i you know, i've been following you online like the online you know instagram and all that sort of stuff but actually like going through to the websites and i'm like wow you're doing all this stuff with like startup and everything now there's like all this all this yeah. you know process around incubation and startup i'm like oh, but my memory of of you and what you were putting out into the world was around user experience and interaction design and, and it's still building companies but with a bit more of a digital lens than the startup lens. Exactly, exactly. And I think the reason why I remembered you guys was from the great branding of your website. All right, shout so, out to Chris Doyle and Co and uh, Mentally Friendly. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, still paying so dividends. Popped onto the, uh, to the website and I, I, it was very distinct, the branding of the style of, uh, of the brand. Hmm. Uh, so I think from there, I was just like, okay, definitely got to connect with you guys. But in terms of like, yeah, the transition, I've always got a bit of that business, uh, that passion for business deep down. Ever since from like high school, I would always like hustle during high school, try and make some extra cash. Really? To tell us more about that. So it was actually in year seven where I was, uh, I was attending Morris College, uh, North Shore. And growing up, my parents weren't that wealthy. Like we come from like a Chinese migrant family. Things were hard. They were, my dad was working like four jobs just to make like ends meet. But they were saying, you were not attending a public school because we don't want you to sort of like uh, go off, off the rails. We want you to be good. You want to have good discipline, good values. So the only school that actually accepted me was Morris College and it was a Catholic school. And my parents were like, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is what we want you to be. <laughs> At Morris, it's, as you know, like semi-private Catholic schools are quite expensive. And like everyone around me was actually quite wealthy. Like they came from, their parents were all in like sort of sea level type uh, roles. Everyone was just quite wealthy around me. So I would always get the same lunch. Um, my mum would make me, the, she'll grab a sandwich, a slice of cheese and two slices of ham every day. I'm not even kidding for the last, uh, for the six years in high school. <laughs> so then I thought to myself, like, everyone's buying like awesome food at the canteen. What can I do to like, get some of that food. Like I can't just ask people for cash, right? right. So I would line up in, in the line and what I realized was people would give me a dollar that, that was telling me to keep the change, but help me buy, like get, grab me some popcorn or grab me a hash brown or mm. whatever it is, but just keep the change. And I thought there's a bit of demand there, right? People are willing to pay me to get their, <laughs> their food quicker. Mm. When the bell would ring, I would just run to the canteen, I'd line up and then I'll just pretty much sell my spot, a dollar each spot and, just get, <laughs> and I hustled my way through, yeah. I've never heard of anybody doing that. That That's is amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. So it just all came to be. And then from there, I just got really passionate about like 
mini businesses. Mm. Remember, my dad came back from uh, Hong Kong, um, China, one time, and it was like at that time it was very innovative to have these like cool little MP3 players. You could not find anything like that in Sydney at the time. So then my dad showed me it. I was like, this is so cool. People would love to buy this at my school. So then I was actually trying to sell them in the, in, in the toilets. <laughs> a black market. It was like a mini black market. Yes. <laughs> and then I remember um, the, the grade coordinator, he pulled me into his office and said, go to your locker um, with me and I want you to empty your locker. And I was like, what is happening? So took him to my locker, emptied my locker. And, and, then, and then he goes, okay, that's good. Grab your bag. I want you to empty your bag. So I went to grab my bag. I emptied it, had like a notebook, and then this MP3 player like popped out. And he goes, what were you selling in the toilets? And I was like, what was I selling? And I was like, oh, I'm just selling the MP3 player. He thought I was selling drugs. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, of to, course. I was just trying yeah. to sell an MP3 player here. Yeah. So just trying to make a living. Just trying to make a living here. I just, <laughs> want, to grab, I just want to buy some popcorn for, for recess. <laughs> so, yeah, I think th throughout high school, I just was fascinated about business. And mm. then that sort of like led me on my internet like ventures while gaming. I just found design. And then I guess that sort of led to design, business. And that just sort of naturally built my skill set. It is a really good thing that you went to a private school than a public school. Because if you went to a public school and you needed money, you would have just stolen it. Like, exactly. As you're telling that story, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we, we would have just stolen it from the other kids. It's a di divergent paths, so sliding doors. I was listening to a podcast that you're on, which was Design Blind Date. And so that came out literally about a year ago. Yeah. And in that time, it seems like it's been a massive year. And we were talking about three years ago and how much everything has changed. But it feels like in the last year, it's been a huge change. And that's from an outsider looking in. Does it feel like that for you? Yeah, so in terms of the last year, a lot has changed. So I was running Musical Media for two years and I realized the goal of it was always to sort of build a product design studio where we could like design uh, products and then also build it as well. In terms of design, we were great. We were somewhat of a powerhouse for UX. We powered some of the like the heavy heaviest hitters of like startups in Sydney. We did like work for Spaceship. Um, we did work for AMO, like government projects. We sort of had a lot of work, and we were a team of ten, so we we're doing pretty well. Always room for improvement. But what was lacking was the time spent in actually building our own products, because I've always had that passion for business. I wanted to build a business for, for myself, which I did. But then I also wanted to build a startup as well. So the agency went really well, but I needed some time to really like, I wanted to pivot the entire agency into start building our own startup. Mm. So then we ventured down and we started building out Ladder, which was like a hiring platform for software engineers. But the biggest mistake was that because we had such a large company running, um, I had also had a, a co-founder, we overlooked the overhead in terms of trying to build a startup that required a lot of cash flow but we also had an agency to run and it just got a little bit too chaotic in terms of like pressure, trying to manage everything. So then it got, after a year of that, it got to a point where I just said, the startup is not working out because in terms of like ROI, it just wasn't meeting like what my expectation. We required a lot more cash to keep it afloat. So I said to myself, maybe it's best if I just wind everything down take some time off and just sort of reassess what I want to do. And when, when you say everything, I mean, is this, because I'm just going to list out a few of the things that, that you were doing, Misco Enterprises, Misco Consulting, Misco Media, Designership, Ambitious UX, UX Gems, and then obviously Raw Studios. 
But so is that everything that you were talking about there? Yes. So everything was so Misco Enterprise was sort of like the umbrella. Um, we had an arm for the agency, which was doing very well. I wanted to head down like sort of the education space and provide a UX course, a very practical one, yeah. um, through the lens of someone who understands like UX, but then also dis- our business as well. So I think a lot of people had reached out and said like, we'd love a course f- from you. GA Academy XI have reached out like to for to help like teach a course, but the reason why I want to do it myself was because then I can sort of keep the the criteria, the education, the process to how I would do things. So yeah, I, I would spin up an arm for a new a new venture that I really yeah. wanted to to go down. But in the end, I think it's really hard to try do everything yourself. So that's why I sort of took some time off everything, reassessed what I wanted to do, and that's where Raw Studio became. Right. So Raw Studio has come out of this. Yes. So in terms of like the agency, it's always been a passion of mine because I get we get to, as a team, sort of work on so many different products, different teams. You learn about the industry as well. So right now we're working with uh, construction, development, fintech, health, uh, practitioners. It just You just learn so much um, and you're pretty much getting paid to learn all these, mm. uh, all these industries. So my friend who is from France, he actually got his PR recently. And he started up his own agency called Raw. And then that's when I said, dude, we just got to partner up, man. It does not make sense for me to go head to head with you. Yeah. Um, I don't want to crush you. So <laughs> in terms of like, in terms for for the sake of our friendship, let's just merge. Um, it'd be great to have a co-founder as well. You sort of like split, uh, split the workload. You also have someone there as like emotional support because running a business is, is tiring and very mm-hmm. hard. So just having someone there is great. So that's where Raw Studio came to be. So we brought everything over from Misco Media. We joined it with his uh, expertise. And within the last uh, two months, yeah, we made two new hires. So we're aggressively growing the team. And yeah, we're we're now here with four, four people, um, still looking to grow, still looking to hire um, actively right now. And yeah, that's where we're at. Who's the biggest need? Like, who are you looking to hire at the moment? Now that you've now that you've downscaled, you must be into a smaller, much more agile team. You must be very conscious of the next type of person that you hire, right? Yeah, it has and to how be the you right expand. Person. Yep. So I think that's where it goes down to sticking to our vision. Um, my co-founder and I both agreed that the agency is important, but we also want to stick to the value and the the mission, which is to build our own startups and incubate different products inside our own studio and see how they go so the next person that we hire will probably be either like a product manager who can start managing uh, the operations of things because we're running so many different pro- uh, projects mm-hmm. or we bring in straight away we start bringing in engineer capabilities but we've already got a guy who's pretty much a full stack he can do full stack code he can also design as well so he's a great sort of uh he's like that He's that, he's that enabler for us to actually go down that path. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing when you have that sort of person because you can just almost float ideas like, oh, could we, would exactly. this be possible? It was great. Today, so Philip and I were having a little chat and then we're walking back to our little space in the co-working space and we saw like this guy with code on his screen. I was like, mate, that's it. That's where we need to be. <laughs> like design is great, but without execution, someone who actually make it a real thing yeah. is important. Yeah, so. Is that Philippe Hong? Philippe Pong, yeah. Yeah, cool. So let's talk about the process because Raw Studio, like on your website, you actually like lay out your process in in quite a detailed way. And I'll just, I'll go like step one, rapid traction pad, step two, product strategy and tactical design, step three, product optimization labs, step four, growth hacking and sprints. 
Can you talk us through this, what, what, what it all means? So in terms of process, I think there are so many different processes in UX, but the way that we want to position ourselves is that we will accommodate for any type of startup, depending yeah. on what stage they are at in terms of the business. So someone might come through, they've exited a, a startup previously, they've got a bit of cash and they're looking to, they've got an idea that needs to be validated very quickly. So we have a process that will help sort of solve those problems and execute something very quickly for them um, at a lower cost, but hopefully that would then lead into sort of like the product design stage. So really depending on where the business is at, we sort of quickly accommodate, we'll see like where they're, where they're at, what their needs are, and then we'll just have a sort of a process that will fit their needs. Right, so, so almost like these steps, they, they can like jump in at different points. Exactly, yeah. Do you often find or, or have you found that you need to diverge from that that process like that particular structure like do you find that it is I mean I know it's understand it's not linear but do you often find that you're like okay we actually need to really blow this step out or we actually need to add in these extra modules you know and that's just like a starting point or do you find that it is consistent yeah definitely I don't, I don't think any plan whether it's business design or anything relationships right. nothing ever works out right <laughs> um, but it's it is like you said it's a great way for us to communicate um, the idea and the process, like a high level idea and process to the client, because yeah. it's it's a very easy concept to, to grasp. Like, right. are you validating idea? Are you looking to grow? Are you looking to optimize your product? That just helps us start the conversation. Hmm. And then through a conversation, as a designer, it's our responsibility to try to dissect and extrapolate as much information as we can, and then provide a strategy that best accommodates for them. I was wondering if we might be able to kind of get an idea of an example of that, like um, whether it's spaceship or, or something like that, like like how, like what is it like in practice, like going through this process? How long does it take? How it, many sprints are you doing? Let's so see. it is very, I would say it's actually quite a loose, it's not very, like you said, it's not linear at all. So we'll receive a lead through our website our sort of promise and our value is that we want to reply to a new lead within 30 minutes, whether we call them straight away mm. or we email them. But when you actually uh, go through our site, which is raw.studio, that's the URL, you go to the contact page and you punch in uh, the details, you land on a, on a separate another page with some confetti that flies down. But then straight away, the experience is that we let you know that if we're not busy, we're going to call you right away. So grab your phone right now. Mm. The reason why we're not calling you right away is because we're probably in a meeting. So that is what we try to keep to. And then what we try to do is in the core, it's sort of just to understand where the founder or the client's head is at. We just try to gauge on, okay, where's your, where's your business at? Are you like a new business? Are you established? Like, where do you sit? Um, what are your current needs? And why are you looking to invest uh, in some sort of like product design or validation process. So it's quite high level. We just try to get an idea, whether get an idea of whether or not this client is sort of like within our target market and like client that we want to work with. If that works out, then we sort of schedule a face-to-face. -face. And that's when my co-founder and I will head to their office or they come to our office and we sort of flesh things out. It's always starting with a problem. So when we meet face-to-face, -face, it's like, okay, cool. Like we've gone through everything in high level, but let's dig like really deep. Mm. And that this session can go from an hour to two hours. So it's just pure conversation. I'll be talking to the client. Philippe will be like sort of like note taking. He'll jump in whenever he has questions. But we just pretty much say, we start the conversation with, okay, what are you trying to solve? And why are you trying to, trying to solve it? Because then that gives us context and helps us frame a strategy for that. 
So after that two hour session, we'll probably go, we'll go back to our office. We'll dig around their product. We'll have a, have a look at it. We'll suss out the scope. And then we pretty much put together like an entire strategy of like how we will tackle this and like sort of like the detailed outputs of like what is required. Mm. And then after that, uh, we send it through. If it's happy days, they're all keen to sign the sign on the dotted line, sign the life away. Then yeah, that's it. Sign it, sign it. We pretty much kickstart a project. You know, it takes around, on average, four to six weeks to complete one, mm. um, and that that includes everything from research, design, testing, and iterations. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Four to four to six weeks. Yeah, like obviously, yeah. obviously that might you might do it once and then twice and again and again and all that sort of stuff. But so yeah, that's how that's the difference with Raw Studio is that um, because our entire team, everyone actually comes from a startup background. Mm. So uh, everyone's run a, uh, run a company before, two of which have gone through an accelerator and raised uh, angel rounds. Um, one of them has actually built, bootstrapped their own startup um, to a thousand, like over a thousand paying customers and it's still a, a live product. Um, and myself, like I've just been in startup world for pretty much my entire career. Mm. So in terms of like how we work, it's actually very lean. Our processes are very established. Um, our design systems are all pretty much built for companies with like around 50 to 100 employees. So mm-hmm. when we start a new project, it's already like bang, it's already done. Um, so everything's very optimized, which is great, but it's taken a lot of time to put together. Mm, yeah. But it does help uh, in the long run because it just makes things easier and easier. Mm. And you're a smaller and ad- more agile team now, which must must save some redundancies and things like that. Exactly. But I guess like moving forward, we definitely will be ramping up and trying mm. to grow. Um, but I think right now it, our core focus is to just do great work yeah. um, and just rebuild everything sort of from scratch, but with a different type of lens. Because you're in startup world, right? Like a lot of the stuff um, from other people that we've had on the show and other friends and, and things like that, um, a lot of the work you can't show because it's sort of NDA and, yeah. you know, where you're working on a product that... This is going to change the world, but not yet. Yeah. So, we'll, so often, you know, the work that you're doing now might be seen online in a year's time, two years time, maybe never, maybe some, maybe did amazing work, but the product didn't go ahead for some other reason. So how do you try to combat that by, you know, I, the process is a great way to do that. But like, you know, yeah, how do you get around that? Because, you know, a traditional designer might be like, I built this website, I did this thing. Yeah. Um, this is a poster that I did. You know, this is a brand that I created. Here's a case study. So how do you get around that? I think in terms of that sort of communication with the client, um, I think, in terms of anything that we do, um, I, th- I think it's beyond work as well, is about over-communication. So entering a, an engagement with a client, we will try to be as transparent as we can. It's in our terms, but we also like talk about it, which is like, we're excited to work with you. And the reason why we want to work with you is because if you do well, we will do well. Um, and that is through by showcasing the work that we do with you guys. Um, and that sort of like is, that sort of like a, it entices them as well to sort of like encourage us to share because it makes us work harder as well. It's like a two-way sort of relationship. So yeah, when we work with a client, we try to be very upfront. Like we'd love to share the work when we when it goes live and pretty much, yeah, just asking for for permission and sort of like talk, talking about it early on. Mm. So you just sort of plant that seed and right. then hopefully, yeah. So we haven't really come across a product where we haven't been able to show it. I think gen- generally the clients will just say, just wait until we go live and then we can like sh- talk as much as we want. Yeah, about have like it. a launch strategy exactly. together. Yeah. yeah. I think like in, in the real world, like we haven't had many problems and I think it all comes down to sort of that relationship with you have the, with the client. Like we're pretty like chum with all our clients. Like mm. we're pretty laid back. 
quite easygoing. We don't try to, we're not like so strict on like agreements and terms and all that. As long as we do good work, which is, which is in scope, then yeah, I think clients mm-hmm. are more than happy for us to, yeah, shoot things out onto social media. I wanted to ask about, you talked about the, that first meeting being about kind of finding out what the problem is that needs to be solved. And a lot of designers talking who are dealing with like traditional clients, uh, that's normally the biggest problem because the client normally doesn't really know what the problem is. Do you find that with startups though? Or, or are they coming with, they, they know what the problem is to be solved? I think majority come to us with, I think every client has an idea in mind. They wouldn't, they wouldn't think about investing in something that they have no idea about, to be honest. I think they will always have an idea about whether it's optimization, whether there's people dropping off in a funnel, whether they're looking to launch a new mar- a product into a new market. There's always a driver, always a motivation for them to, re- to seek someone to, like someone in this area to sort of like be their expertise, yeah. be someone to lead that strategy. So I think it's our job to really listen first, hear them out, but then also ask the right questions to help them realize what the problem is as well. So a lot of the times someone would come, not a lot of the times, actually some clients will come through and they're looking just to do a redesign. But I would always force them to say, okay, why do you want to invest money into redesigning this? Sometimes they say, oh, we just want to make it pop. We just want it to make it look nice. We want a slick and simple and minimal design experience. And I'm like, but that's not a measurable success metric. Like what, how do you know that that's going to actually bring Mm. more money in or how's that going to improve your business? So we try to force them and we try to sort of like structure the conversation in a way to help them define what a success metric would be. Is it to increase conversion rates? Um, Do you want more leads? Mm. Are people actually applying for your program? Are they dropping off? Is is, is there leakage in the funnel? So we just just try to use our experience to help them realize what it is as well. Even putting into that framework will help them, I guess, in the way. I wanted to, I'm interested about the process in, you know, that first meeting and the consultation, I guess, is that paid? No. So the first sort of uh, engagement with us is pretty much just a, a conversation. Yeah. Um, we'll dig into a bit of the product. Uh, if I have experience in, so we've been doing a lot of marketplaces. So we've done around five different marketplaces, um, High Pages, Freelancer, uh, Snapper. We've done a fair few. So recently someone came through with a marketplace idea and we will just throw in a few gems like, like thoughts that like provoking thoughts to make them think, oh, wow, I didn't think of that, right? Right. So we, you sort of just try, try to show that you do have experience in this and the insights that we bring isn't just a gut feeling. It's like something that we've applied um, in yeah. the past that has worked very well. So it's sort of like, yeah, giving them a bit of a tease to say you should feel confident with us. And yeah, if we're to lead this journey, you should sort of like um, not be too worried about it, like leave it in our hands, but we will always consult with you. We'll always reason with you and like justify Mm. our decisions. I was interested in the word startup or the two words startup. In Australia, because you've you've obviously worked all all across the world with different startups. In Australia, do you think the word or the name startup is, is a dirty word? Do you think it has connotations over here that doesn't? I think the word startup gets thrown around a lot yeah and to be honest i wouldn't even know what the what the true definition of a startup is but the the one that i do i'm aware of is sort of like a business like a new business that has high growth potential but i feel like everyone sort of says classifies everything as a startup if it's just an idea if you, you have an idea then yeah, and you're right. building it out then you're a startup yeah so well, my idea didn't work <laughs> <laughs> it's all right it was just a startup yeah it's, it's, it's just right. a startup <laughs> just a startup 
<laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a bad stigma to it, but yeah, we've got clients who are around 30 to 50 employees, but we still call them a startup. So I don't, I don't even know what the, de- right. the true definition and, of it. And if you if you decided on what it was, then there's going to be other people that, that, that says, d- d- decided something different anyway. It's, exactly. It's become very yep. subjective and ambiguous and, and everything like that. I want to talk a little bit about like your personal brand and how that fits in with everything. And I mean, it, it's it's in our notes to, to talk about, but, but also as you were talking about um, collaborating with your clients um, when you release and actually you know, looking at your online presence, it's probably a big boon for them to actually, you know, launch at the same time because you have like a, a lot of followers on, you know, different um, platforms like Instagram and all that sort of stuff. I just kind of want to get an idea of like how much time you are s- still spending and, and how much you you focus on growing that personal brand as well as the business. Seems like a lot. It is a lot, but I think it's, the Mizco brand has sort of, it was started around 10 years ago. So I think over time, it's just accumulated a lot of following. But I've mentioned this before. I feel like build, building a personal brand that is a genuine personal brand that like is who you really are. It's not sort of a, a facade or like another persona that you're trying to live up to. Mm. Is actually quite easy. If you're trying to be someone else, that's totally, I can't imagine what that would be like trying to be more um, extroverted or trying to be someone who you're not, that would be extremely hard. But with my personal brand, it's really just who I am. Like I am passionate about um, startups, building companies. It's just me sharing my daily thoughts. Mm. So I have a monthly newsletter that has been running for around like three years now. And it's really just, I actually really enjoy on a Sunday morning, I'll grab like some coffee, I'll grab a tea and I just sit down and I pretty much just reflect on what happened in the last month. Mm. It's just a way for me to wind down. So, but a lot of people find that as a, val- a very valuable content because I really don't hide anything. I just share, I share the stress, the anxieties, everything. And there's nothing to hide for me because it's just, it's just me. And I will have this conversation with my friends, my family. It doesn't really matter who it is. I'm very open about that. Mm. So in terms of like, yeah, building the personal brand has just always been something I do on the side because I generally am passionate about it. But however, moving into raw studio and sort of like winding down the Misco media brand, I have focused more on building the the raw studio brand and making the effort that we, or the, the team effort that we're building as a team, I'm trying to give more credit to everyone mm. that's part of the team. Right. And that is the reason why I was very open and then actually wanted to move away from the Misco brand because when you're building a company, you want everyone to feel like they're part of the company and right. it shouldn't just be me. Um, and that was something that I did face whilst building Mizco Media is that everyone everyone wanted to work with Mizco. And in the end, it's like, there's only so much I can do. If everyone mm. expects me to, to do all the work, the quality is actually <laughs> going to go down, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a team effort mm. um, and everyone should be uh, given credit for that. Yeah. So in terms of the brand name, I feel like that should reflect it as well. So getting mm. back to Mizco, is, is Mizco and Michael Wong different? Well, you never know what I do outside of work, so it could be a totally different person. <laughs> because, because I guess in in raw studio, like you've been, you're there as Michael. I think everyone tends to call me Mizco, um, but because I've consciously sort of tried to wind it down, people do call me Michael now at Raw in terms of our clients, um, in terms of like a more professional name. It's just it's just my name, mm. it's not a nickname. But even when I was working, uh, when I was building Mizco Media, we had government, cl- we had clients in in the government very established startups, they would just still call me Mizco. Mm. 
I don't know if this plays a part in it, but I feel like because I'm Asian, like I just, I still look like a kid and I can sort of just play <laughs> off this kid persona that people just like, oh yeah, you look 12. Like It's, Mizco. it's just Mizco, you know? <laughs> I'm nearly 30 now. Like So I feel like there's that part that I can still play on because if I, if, if I looked a lot older, I'd feel like, well, like is your name actually Mizco? Like why is it, like why are you, why are you using a nickname type thing? So, yeah, I think that does play a part in it. I think you've always, you've been so confident with Mizko that I, I guess if I ever had that question, it goes away as soon as I hear you talk because it's like, oh, well, he's just Mizko. And yeah. Just, and I think it's that bringing that confidence across. Mm, yeah, I think it's sort of because it's been tied to me for so long. Yeah. Beyond work, it's like my friends called, uh, call, call me Mizko. My parents call me Mizko. Right. Um, parents still don't know why it's Mizko, but they're just like, <laughs> oh, hello, Mizko. Like, it's just it's just part of that, you know? Like, you just can't really get, get away from it. But so, so when someone calls you Michael, you're like, who are you? Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, wait, you're talking to me? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, coffee for Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, and you're like, oh, whoa, sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> wait, that's me. Um, I heard you talk about personal brand, and you spoke about that. It was kind of a revelation to you at, at the start. You, someone mentioned to you that it was worth worth doing, and that you you actually put some time into it. And you're like, and you got instant kind of like, I guess, um, metrics back to show how, how important it was. Do you think everyone should be doing this? I think it's worth it, but you have to stay true to who you are. Yeah, you can't build a personal brand around someone that you're not. So if we go back, I think you raised a very good point. I actually totally forgot about this. So I was work. This is my first sort of full-time gig at freelancer.com. And the lead designer, Adam Dunaway, he's actually quite well known. He had built like his own sort of like personal brand around his name. And he had a really cool website, which is still the same website to this day. That's the... Um, the half face the one. The half face. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met Adam, but yeah. I think I've been following him on Twitter for like nine years. Or yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's been in the game for a very long mm. time. So he pretty much, he saw that I was very passionate about it. And he, he just, he sort of just nudged me and said, you should, you should probably build up a personal brand around what you're doing because you're so passionate about it. Um, because he, he, he was already doing it as, as well. So then that's when I said, okay, I'll give this a crack. And when I redesigned my portfolio, which, which used to be like a yearly thing, every year I'll just redesign my portfolio. I said, okay, what can I do to be different? That is like sort of like what I would actually do. So as a joke, I sort of like dressed myself up as a ninja. I shaved the sides of my head, did a mohawk. <laughs> and you can actually access this through archive.org. If you go th- if you go archive.org and you type in mizka.net, I think it's back in 2011, I'm dressed up as this ninja. I coded some like animations where I like slide in from the side of the screen, I disappear and then I come out and I'm like full doing this Kung Fu stuff. I've got a peg that's like pegged to, my, to, to a shirt that's like wrapped around my face. And then... I was thinking, okay, should I launch this website? And I was so, there was anxiety. It was the first time I felt so anxious. The and moment then, of truth. The yeah. moment of truth. I'm like, will people like this? What sort of metrics am I driving? Are yeah. they going to go negative or are they going to go positive? So then I remember Deborah, who was also another designer at um, Freelancer. She goes, she took a look at it and she goes, okay, just launch it. Like, just see what people <laughs> would say. Press the button for so <laughs> I pretty much went on Twitter typed in mizko.net and I just like tweeted about it and people loved it. Like people were just like, this is so different. Like this is like, my sister was like, this is so stupid, but it's so good. <laughs> and it's just, it was, it actually went viral. And that's where I started to, like you mentioned, metrics started to go up. Followers started going up. People featured me on different blogs, on websites. I got a few awards 
and more leads came through. Clients at the time were like, we have never seen something like this. We'd love you, for you to be part of like uh, revamp some of our UX and bring mm. some creativity into it. So actually, you're hooked. I like, was you're hooked. like, okay, I get it. I'm I, like, I, I get it. I see how that works yeah. and that opened all these doors. And be me, be different. Just yeah. like do whatever it takes, like make people laugh, do something stupid, like whatever it takes, right? So then that's when it sort of just snowboarded and I just said, okay, I've got a, follow, a bit of following now. Like, let me engage them, share what I'm doing, share what I'm learning. Like, and it just sort of became this big snowball effect. And pretty much it just, yeah, now it's, I think there's probably around 500,000 people across all the different social accounts, um, my wow. newsletter and stuff. So, yeah. So, and this is not the first time that you've been part of like a, a snowball effect, I guess, because I read the story about how you sort of got into this whole area in the first place and you know you're obviously a gamer and and i think it was gunbound was the yeah that's was, good old school worms it's like the advanced <laughs> worms but because you you started something you started a community there that kind of just snowboarded into this massive thing very quickly didn't it yeah yeah back in high school once again i was like i loved sort of like dabbling in business like selling stuff and then this, was, is, this is after you're expelled from school yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was close i was actually really close um, but yeah, so pretty much I was doing a bit of business stuff and I was also spending a lot of time like gaming, playing Gunbound. And for those who don't know it, I don't know if you guys remember the game Worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're on the same screen, you're trying to kill each other pretty much. Right. So this is like the modern day Worms where you had like somewhat 3D looking characters. It was full colorful had different special like uh, missiles that you can shoot. And I was obsessed with this game. I'd play, with my, uh, play the game with my sister after school, like every day pretty much. And then I accumulated like a lot of points, a lot of like rare items. And then I wanted to sell these items because people actually wanted to buy Gunbound accounts, which were already like level 67 or whatever it was. Mm. So then I said, this, the chat room in the game wasn't that great. Like people were spamming all the time. They were having random conversations. So I said, how do I create a place where I can bring everyone together? And that's when I did a bit of research online. And this is before any, before like UX, web design was even a thing, to be honest. I found this thing called Envision Free where you can create a forum within a couple of seconds, right? Created this forum, they hosted it for me. Um, I called it like, I can't remember what it was, Gunbound Central version one, remember? And then I would grab the link and I went into the game and then I spammed the chat room. Like everyone joined this like Gunbound (laughs) forum. You can trade, you can sell, you can talk to, you can meet like-minded gamers. Gold farmer in <laughs> Warcraft or something, yeah. just like yeah. spamming, spamming general chat. So I was just trying to like get people to join and people were actually joining. And then as the community started to grow, there was only a couple hundred users. There was probably around 20 people posting every day. That's when I started to think, oh, like this forum looks quite bland because it was just the default skin. I had no idea what design was at the time. So then I thought, okay, like what can I do to make it feel more gum bound, like related? So then I... I remember my dad had a copy of Photoshop 6 and he gave, um, he gave me access to that. And then I sort of just did a bit of research, understood how to dig into some basic HTML, design some nice graphics and like chuck it onto my forum. And then that was when I was like, holy crap, this is awesome, man. Um, and then I slapped a few ads on, onto, the, uh, onto the forum. And then I was actually making a couple of dollars every day from it. And I was just like, dude, this is this is this world is crazy. <laughs> Banner ads. Banner ads. The man. entry to design. <laughs> that was that was actually it. So I realized you can actually make money mm. through like design. Like the way I designed something, right? You can actually bring focus to the ads and then people would click the ads more often. And I was like, this is crazy. Mm. So then I did a bit more research and then that led me into 
affiliate marketing. And back in the days, affiliate marketing was an untapped sort of like niche. Not many people were doing it. Google was p- paying around one to two dollars per click for just the click for basic keywords. Wow, this is around 10, 10 12 years ago. Mm. So I started to go down this. Uh, I joined this internet marketing forum, which is like because I was doing research about forums, and then I'm like, oh, is there one about affiliate marketing or making money online? So I ended up on this forum called Digital Forum, uh, Digital Point, Digital Point, and then I. Did a bit of research, found some people like looking for banner designs for like 20 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. I did them as like a side side gig. And then I realized some people were doing like a full landing page. Design me this landing page, which is going to help me sell insurance to whatever, right? Because they, they were marketers. So I started doing like landing page designs. And then I thought, why don't I just design these myself for myself? So then I went down this another research uh, path and found myself doing affiliate marketing so I had a product that I needed to sell or like a like a CPA offer that I needed to promote, designed the landing page, I would code it as well, and then I just drive traffic to it. I was using AdWords um, and yeah, who, who knew that it would lead to UX? And so did you teach yourself coding yes. as well? Yeah, coding, design, trying to like make everything, like because there was no education around this at the time. Yeah, Literally, you had to just Google and just try to learn how to like put things together. No one mm. would teach you. I didn't know anyone that could teach me either. So that's where I sort of just found myself running uh, affiliate marketing campaigns. I had a whole full setup decked out. I was making around 40 grand USD a month <laughs> and I scaled it to 300 wow. a month. And I was just... I was like 19 or 20 Mm. and it got to a point where actually got to a point where the bank St. George Lane Cove, they actually like locked my account and said, (laughs) they've been talking to your principal. (laughs) (laughs) What is he selling? I'm this guy again. (laughs) He's drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) So some other scam. So my parents actually thought I was a drug dealer for a while because I didn't didn't tell my dad like what I was doing. And then they're like, why, why is our (laughs) PayPal account getting locked? Why are you getting caught into the bank? Why is everything getting frozen? So I had to like screenshot all the evidence and actually show like these are legitimate transactions. And they're like, hey, by the way, you're 19, time to pay some tax. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of that money is our money now. (laughs) You're like, oh no. The highest bracket as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and then I think that just naturally taught me design is actually very effective if you can meet what the customer wants. It can also drive... Um, different principles and values. Um, so you can actually promote a product. You can change the perception of a product uh, in terms of design, copy. Everything is sort of just like self-taught. And then you sort of just join the dots and you realize a lot of people get funneled into UX thinking, oh, it's just about making something very seamless to use. But UX is actually a lot more than that. It's actually like understanding customers. How do you communicate um, your offering to those customers. Design is what, like visual design is one aspect. Copywriting is also the other aspect. Mm. So there's so many things that I feel like is really important to understand as a designer. But nowadays, I think the education is really focused on just visual design and making things seamless. So I'm, I'm interested where it came from though, because everything you're saying is like completely right. But it seems like you had it there from very early age without kind of meaning to like is there something like your parents or did it come from just even understanding that you could there was a need in the lunch queue like where where did that come from so i think when i think all the way back i think money was actually the driver for this Mm. because i think trying to understand with 
trying to understand concepts without, without an anchor. So if I was trying to understand design based on my gut feeling, yep. it's very subjective and you can't, it's very hard to convince someone or tell someone like how, like why this is the right path and what it's not. So understanding one that I needed money. So I was actually just trying to do things to, to make money. But then two is also, I realized when I was doing affiliate marketing campaigns, why is this one driving more revenue than this one? And then I just started to realize, oh, if I add urgency onto this, if I add a countdown, or if I add um, your friends have also recommended this, then that sort of taught me, that was a, me uh, a point of measure measurement for me to sort of understand, okay, if I do this, that's why this happens. Mm. This is probably why I should do things moving forward like this. So one example was that I did, I collected, so when Farmville was like a massive viral game, mm. I collected all the cheats and I made a Facebook app and you could access all these cheats if you completed an offer and I would get paid a dollar for it. And then the first iteration was literally just an app. So you clicked on the, you clicked on an app um, and open up the offer. And then if you completed the offer, you get access to it. That was it. Right. And then I said, I need to work really hard to try to get more people to complete this offer. So how do I get this offer in front of more Farmville players? So then I thought, okay, what if I, if someone had to access this app, they had to also share it on their Facebook page saying, I've accessed this, I accessed these Farmville cheats, check it, check it out now. Mm. So when they completed the offer, that added a viral aspect to it. So then I saw, it just sort of like all, all the, all the dots sort of started to join and started to connect. I started to realize there's so many different things that you can do to drive uh, the revenue, right? So then this taught me that there are things that you can do to actually be more effective in design. Mm. So it was all pretty much just sort of like learning on the, on the job. It's amazing. It's just the, the cumulative learning though that you, you do, like not many people can do that kind of, you're putting everything together and the kind of building on it all the time. It's quite impressive. Yeah, and I, and I think it's actually when I think back to it, it's probably my childhood as well. So I remember my parents would encourage us to be more creative or like do more homework. So as very stereotypical um, of a Chinese, like an Asian family, they want you to be very academic, right? So in terms of like getting my homework done, my dad would reward us for getting A's or like get, doing all our homework for the week. He'll buy us like marbles. So it was, we'd never got gifts really, yeah. but we would only get rewards pretty much. So I think that sort of like trained my brain a little bit to be very goal oriented, like just always have objectives that I wanted to reach yep. from a very early stage. And then that sort of just started to snowball because I think if, if your parents don't teach you that, you don't, you don't know any better and that you sort of just go with the flow. Mm. But I think as a, from a very young age, I've always had goals that I wanted to hit complete all my homework or like drive revenue or like, yeah, if I launch a campaign, like what am I trying to chase, right? There's always a goal for me to, to try hit. So you find with a lot of personalities who are, who are that, that way that they have trouble celebrating success. Do you feel like you fit into that? I think I do. I think sometimes you're going out like 100 kilometers per hour and you just sort of like forget to appreciate mm. like Always thinking about the next thing. Always thinking about the next thing. So I think that's something that I, I try to do more often. Actually, yeah, after work, I try to switch off. It rarely happens, but on weekends, it's that is like a, I've put that, it's sort of like instilled into my brain and it's like part of my process now is that weekends is 100% shut off. Yeah. Unless there's like a really critical thing that needs to be done, then I won't work on the weekends anymore. I used to work through like all, yeah, all seven days, but 
it was never work to me. I generally enjoyed it. Like I love hitting the goals and I never found it toxic, but it burnt me out at, mm. a, at two points um, in my life. So then that's when I said, okay, I really need to like shut off on the weekends and just try to relax. Speaking of goals, um, <laughs> you guys, we've, we've done it. It's 45 minutes. Woohoo! Oh, nice. Very, very <laughs> quick. Um, just to, yeah, I don't think we've ever done yeah. yes. uh, hey. the end of the podcast. That's awesome. Um, first time for everything. <clears throat> um, so here's the hardest question that we're ever going to give you. Where do people go to find out more about you? <laughs> yeah, so I think there are two uh, places that you can learn more about like what I do and um, what the team does. So you can go to raw.studio. That's our agency. We're incubating a few products. So if you have an idea and you want to validate the idea, jump onto usespring.io. So that's usespring.io. And that will that's a product that we're building out right now to help you validate ideas. And if you want to follow sort of like my personal journey, you can head to misco.net and there's a newsle- newsletter link at the top. You can just uh, follow that newsletter and I try to share once a month. Mm. So you guys can sort of get insights into how I think about things and um, yeah, the journey that I'm on. And we didn't get a chance to get kind of into the nitty gritty of it, but you also give like a lot of your experiences and information like through your Instagram stories and everything like that as well um, or the carousels and everything. So there's heaps of stuff. So anyone that's out there that's interested in user experience and design and interface design and stuff like that. There's like a ton of like great stuff and pretty much. opinions in there as well. Yeah. So you pretty much, if you just type in Mizco into Google, you'll just find your computer everything. will explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Um, this has been, this has been great. Thank you yeah. for your time. Awesome. I'm, Thanks, glad, guys. I'm glad we got around to doing it. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, Matt underscore leech on Insta. Cool. I'm at Flynn Tracy on pretty much everything. And you can find this episode or more at AUSDesignRadio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud at AUSDesignRadio. And we have a new newsletter. Um, so check that out. Link will be in Instagram Ooh. probably at the moment. So thank, thank you, you very much. much. Thanks for having me, guys.